this is Steve Balton, and you are here on My Turning Point, where today we are joined by Dallas Green, known to many as City in Color. Such a joy to talk with him about music and one of his great passions, basketball. Hope you enjoy the show. Fantastic is what I was going to say. Is it really all that different, though, than wanting to be a musician in the sense of you, you want the best, you know, but it's like basically why I say this is there has to be a same level of certain ambition and drive. And as I've talked about with people, a little bit of desperation to be a musician. Sure. Yeah. Because you know that you're going to hit so many failures. Yep. You know you're going to hit so many hard times. Yep. And also, you know, if, it, if you become successful, again, I mean, I don't care who you are. When you go up there and you can get 2,000 people or 20,000 people to do whatever you say, there does become a little bit of a Jesus complex. There, there can be, yes, I believe so. But I also think that um, you have to want that side of it as well. I think, uh, you know, people say like, what's like, oh, you're famous. And I'm like, I'm not. I think that fame is a thing that you have, you can avoid it and you have to decide that that's what you want. Um, for me, all I, I just like writing songs about what I'm feeling. I know that sounds like ridiculously romantic, but it is the truth. Like I've only ever, uh, I never got into it for the applause or the sort of accolade or whatever. It was just something that I felt when I was younger, I felt like I could do to help me get out of my own head. And it just sort of, I mean, it worked, you know? Well, what's so fascinating about that though, what I'm saying is playing devil's advocate. I'm, I agree, I'm totally agree, agreeing with you. I think that, you know, there are politicians who could start the exact same way. Yes. Who, who you know, similar to, you know, something to get out of there. They felt that they could really help people. They could do good. They yeah. get into it. And then what happens is I think the power corrupts. And I think for musicians, no matter who you are, you know, the, the, the applause and everything at some point, you do start to think about it. Now, you have to make a conscious decision, like you say, to say, I'm, that's not what I want. Sure, and exactly. that's not what I'm going to chase. But at the same time, you are aware of it. And Absolutely. I think that, and I think that's what happens, what I'm saying with politicians yeah, is... Yeah, big time. But I think that, I think maybe, again, like, I, you know, there's a lot of people who who just feel like this is something they they found, they can do, they're good at. Um, but the thing is, I guess, the good at thing is all subject to personal opinion, you know? Yeah. Like, uh, like uh, I think... I. I think when Drake won his Grammy earlier this year, mm -hmm. he said it the best way. He said, we play in an opinion-based sport. You know, basically saying none of this really matters because kind of no matter where you are when you're making art or, you know, some people might like it, but you're almost guaranteed that someone's not going to like it, you know? So you're sort of putting yourself uh, up there to be judged. And if you, if you weigh too far on one side of that, then you're bound to just sort of be like a slave to it in a way. Does that make sense? Yeah. Where, whereas like, you know, with politic politicians and politics, it seems like they'll, you know, pander a lot more just to try to get maybe, you know, get around the corners to what they, what they want, you know, whereas if you, well, I mean, there's a reason, I've, the reason I've stayed completely independent. Is I was going to say, but let's be real, there's a shit ton of musicians who pandered as well. Well, that's what I was going to say. Yeah. You know, that's what I mean. Like, you have to kind of decide what you want out of it and who yeah. you want to be. Like, whenever I talk to kids and they're asking me for advice because now I'm, like, old compared to, <laughs> you know. Um, my first thing to ask the question for them is, what do you want out of it? You know? Yeah. 
because you have to just like if you if st- things start to work then you have to like you said you have to make conscious conscious decision on what you want out of it do you want to be famous do you want to be a good musician do you want to feel like you just did what uh, came to you and you sort of deal with the consequences of whether people like it or not or there's all these things that you, you have to kind of consider when you're going to throw yourself into this world and try and do it forever well it's interesting because that actually does lead into so the, the premise of the show and it's funny I don't typically do this but again because this is what happens is when I start talking with people ahead of time we start talking about very interesting things so what we'll do this show a little different is we'll, we'll not lead in with that but it does tie in with what we're talking about so the premise of the show is called My Turning Point and it's where every artist whether it's been I mean I've had everyone on from Robbie Robertson speaking of Canadians mm-hmm. to you know Dead Mouse, and they'll talk about it, pick a turning point moment in their life and talk about it and it's interesting. Some people go personal, some people go professional, but I, I do think that it's funny because what we're talking about, you know, and it doesn't have to be certainly this one, but even that's a turning point of when you start to become successful yeah. and deciding, do you want to be famous, or do like you said, deciding what are the reasons that you're doing this? Yeah, exactly. So, but but that being said, I don't want to put words in your mouth, so you can pick any turning point. Blah, I can't talk any turning point moment you want. Um. Yeah, I don't know. It's it's weird because I've been doing it for so long and at such a pace. This last little f- kind of couple year break that I took from like um, putting new music out and doing what I had done for like 15 straight years was a lot of like a way to kind of look back, you know, and maybe think about things like that where um, for me, the idea of success had always just been the ability to continue doing it on whatever... Um, scale that might be you know when we started Alexis on Fire in St. Catharines Ontario uh, there was no not a bone in any of our bodies that thought anybody was going to like it you know we were playing a weird style of music that was just sort of an amalgamation of all these different things that we liked and and then it was like started with a door opening and then you just never look back just keep trying to get to the next door and um, we had always set these like really small attainable goals for ourselves. It was never like, we want to be like this. You know, it was just like, oh, can we get a show? Can we get another one? Now we can make a record. And, and, and um, that's all we did for years. And then I made this solo record just because I thought I had these other songs. Um, again, I never thought anybody would really like it. I thought maybe some of the people who liked Alexis and like my voice would dig this this quieter side and then you know and then that came out and people liked it and so the turning point really I I don't know I guess maybe deciding to you know like at 21 years old just deciding to get in the van and go and you know I'm 39 now and it feels like I've that's all I've been doing since I since I got in that van do you know what I mean yeah so maybe that was the turning point so what was the first day that you got in the van? What was the moment that you decided that, you we, know? We, I remember we, uh, the first tour we ever tried to go on, like tour tour, where we like left St. Catharines for more than like a week. We booked a two-week tour in the States. Uh, this kid, uh, our guitar player, Wade met a kid online in like a f- chat room, and he booked us a tour with these two American hardcore bands. So we bought a van an old like like you know camper van we drove uh, we crossed the border into Buffalo 
we drove four hours outside of Buffalo and the van broke down. We had to be towed back to Canada. <laughs> but the next day we woke up, we rented a van and we drove all night to Long Island to play the first show. Mm-hmm. And I remember like, there's many moments like that along the way that I can look to the resiliency that we built up. Because those are the things where you go, okay, we're done. You know, we felt so cool. We were leaving Canada to go tour and then our van broke down. We had to be towed back home. It was like such a tail between your legs moment. But then it was just kind of like, okay, well, how do we, how do we keep going? And that's sort of just basically what I've been doing ever since. You know, like you said, so many failures, but then trying to get up and find, you know, some, some way to succeed. What's so interesting about that, this is something that's come up a lot of late, and I had Grace Potter on the show yesterday, who's a friend, and yeah. we're talking about this. You know, her turning point moment was, was basically taking four years off because shit started to fall apart in her personal life fell in love with the producer, all this stuff, right? Yeah. But what's interesting about it is, as we talked about, you know, it's funny because you said you took the two years off to, uh, you know, after going nonstop. And, and I think what what is a turning point for a lot of people as well is having to decide to recommit to music. Because I think what happens is, you know, this has come up more and more, and as we were talking about, look, you're 16, you think it'd be fucking cool to be a rock star, right? Sure. And then you turn 30 and let's say you've been a rock star, you've been successful, you realize it's nothing like what you imagined. Like, it's funny, I was interviewing Dave Matthews today and we were talking about this and he's like, when I think of what I was in the kid and I had the fantasy of being a Beatle and then I started to go on the road, it was literally nothing like anything that I had dreamed it would be. Yeah. And so I think that what happens is you have to sort of recommit to that idea. So was that the case for you that you decided that, you know, again, this is really... This is still your passion because the other thing too as people get older your interests change. Absolutely. Um, I think the thing that I did was I, I didn't take a year off from making music or two years. I took, I took time off from doing the same thing that I did for 15 years where I made a record, went on tour for two years, came home, went right into the studio, made another record and went back out and did this cycle. And even when I was doing Alexis and City and Color at the same time full on it was like every year. I would be, you know, so for about like eight years, I put out a record every year, whether it was Alexis or Sitting Color, and just charged, you know? Yeah. And this last, like, I finished touring on my last record at the end of 2017, and it was the first time since I left home at 21 where I had the last tour dates and nothing booked afterwards. No studio time, no more shows, and I just said, I'm going to see what happens. And that was a really hard thing for me to do because I'd never done it. And I was, I don't know if it was like a fear of if I stop, will it be there if I want it when I come back? If I decide I want to come back, will it still be there? Will the songs be there? Will the people be listening? You know? So what then I realized is I was like, in my head, I was like, I'm going to take a break. But then what I realized was no, I don't take breaks. I just don't need to focus all of my energy this exact same way. So I took time off. I made, I produced my friend Ben's record, who's on tour with me here. Mm-hmm. Um, I'd never done that before. I, they asked me to produce a record. And I was like, I don't know how to do that. And then I got in the studio. I was like, oh, I know how to do this. I'm doing it for <laughs> myself for 15 years, you know? And then I got back with Alexis. And so it was all, it was like recommitting myself to this idea of, being a working musician, but not uh, not in this way that I just thought was the only way I could do it. And That's then in that turn, in that whole 
year as well, I made this new record, which was something I'd never done. I'd never done a just like, I'll get to it when I, when I feel like it. It's always, it always been two weeks booked in the studio, bang, gone. So there was all this really like discovery, um, doing the same thing, you know, music, based around music, but it was like proof to me that I could, I could sort of attempt a different strategy, I guess, if that makes sense. Yeah, it's interesting. You know? There are a couple things in there that are really fascinating. One, once you started to say, because, and I think you, even you and I have talked about this in the past, I talk about this with artists all the time. When you're making a record, right, you have no perspective. You're in the midst of it. Well, when you've gone for 15 years straight, there's no time to sit back and think. And there's no perspective. Yes. So when you took the time away, or at least changed your schedule up, did you find what it was that you were afraid of? Yeah, I think it was it, it was it was this not being here. But then I realized, like you know, and all my family and friends would always just be like, "That's stupid." Like you know, you've you've you know, you you've put in the work, and you have these people who have been listening to you this long. Like they're not just gonna go away because you decided to like not put out a record every two years, <laughs> you know. And some of them might, but that's just life, and that's just the life of a of a musician, right? You 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 know. You lose people along the way, but you gain different people, you know? Yeah. Um, so I think that was something I just needed to get over. It was like, I could, I could change directions and I'd still, I'd still be here, <laughs> you know? Isn't that part of the advantage, though, to what we were talking about earlier about, you know, not being famous, to be successful, to have a career? You know, again, if you're Rihanna, it's fucking hard to do that. Yes. Because, and, and nothing against Rihanna. I actually like Rihanna. Me too. I, I, she's very cool. I've interviewed her. But it, it's, you know, that's the downside of it is just if she doesn't want to do something, her not doing something becomes news. Exactly. Yeah. And I think I realized that maybe I had just finally reached a point where I realized that I, all of the, like the 15 years of working my butt off the way that I want, you know, uh, allowed me to just realize, okay, I've put in the work for myself, you know, like I've made myself feel like... Even if I even if I came back and no one was there, at least I'm, I you know I made f five City and Color records. I made four Lux Sunfire records. I made a record with my friend Alicia. Like I had done all this stuff that I wanted to do when I was younger. So it was maybe just sort of getting over that. Like okay, well, say for some weird reason, uh, I come back and no one's there. I think I could I could feel okay about that. I think it was sort of reaching that point where I just felt like safe enough to to like do something different. Well, let's tie this into Pill for Loneliness. Did you find then as well that, because Grace and I spoke about this and this was certainly the case for her, she first time wasn't on a label and no one even knew she was making a record. So there was that freedom of not answering to anybody but also not having the internal pressure of making a record. Yeah. So did you find for you, because like you say, typically you, know, you had never done this before, but with the idea of other outlets, producing Ben's record, all this stuff, that there wasn't the same internal pressure and that you were able to experiment more and be just more free on yeah, a pill for loneliness. for sure. Like, I think that there, will, there always is, um, no matter what I do, I, I always put a, a, just a bit of a, a, a internal pressure on myself. Um, sure, that's every artist. Exactly. You, you would hope, right? Um, but I think making the record this way without any sort of um, idea of what it was going to be 
when we started recording my these new songs, it was like like we were mixing Ben's record at my friend Jakir's studio in, in Franklin, Tennessee. And uh, we would finish mixing it. And Carl, my friend Carl Barham, who just passed away a couple weeks ago. Sorry. Who uh, made the record with me. Him and Jakir, we were sitting in the kitchen. And unbeknownst to me, they had been talking about my new demos. Because Carl, I, I would send, I'd make these demos and send them to Carl. And so... Uh, we're standing in the kitchen and like Ben and Matt Kelly are, are like drunkenly recording a new piano duet <laughs> thing which is fun and and they both they were like okay so let's start recording your new songs and I was like huh? like I was like I was the farthest thing from my mind was me making a record I was just like I was making Ben's record I was I kept joking with the Ben the Ben Rogers band I kept saying I, I'm, I'm retiring I'm moving into coaching because I felt <laughs> like I had a really good time in the studio not really like a do anything other than like motivating um, and so the boys were like yeah let's start recording your new songs and I was like no I'm not ready to I'm not ready to make a record you know and they were like let's just start recording we don't have to make a record you know and Jakir said this thing that will always stick with me he said Dal we'll start recording and then I'll go into my little room where he mixes and he's like and if it doesn't sound good nobody will hear it and I was like like at that moment I looked at the two of them and I was like here you go here are the keys you guys take over and so it was like that, having them, the trust of them to be like, um, we're going to, we're just, let's just start recording these songs you got. It's not, there's no, you know, it's not, yeah. you're not, there's not a cycle that has to start. There's no deadlines. There's no nothing. We'll just start recording. And that's how we started recording in like April of last year. And then we finished March of this year, just over like, and not like it didn't take a year to make. It was just we went at it whenever we could do it, you know? And was there one song early on where you started to realize that, that you wanted to make this record? It was we, the first song we, we started uh, recording was um, when we, it was when we started recording Astronaut. And because um, that jam part at the end of Astronaut, I had written before I wrote the song. I just had this like jam thing that I wrote on a looping pedal and I thought it was a lot of fun to play on guitar in the basement and I was like I want to be able to do this at some point I need to write a song where this can go in it so I originally had that jam part in the middle of the song and then Jakir was like maybe just put it at the end let's get another chorus in there and then and I was like all right but it is funny because it started with the idea of just that you thought it would be fun yeah and not the idea of like okay it's you know adhering to the schedule of you know, exactly. fans are waiting for this record. Exactly. There was no, there was no vocals. There was no nothing. It was just that riff. So then to like, yeah. Then we started doing that and like writing the song out of that. Yeah, it was just a lot of. It was a lot of fun. And as you did that, did like was there after that? Did the theme of the record start to emerge and like songs come out? And you know, I saw an interview you did where you talked about the fact that you know this is basically, you know, as it is for almost every artist. It's a way to just deal with your own feelings. Yeah. And particularly, it was interesting because you talked about, and this struck me for a couple of reasons, I'll tell you why in a second, but you talked about the, the you know, I, I think it was something to the effect of, you know, the idea of life on the road mm -hmm. versus the reality of it. And there is this idea of, you know, oh, cool, you get to see the world and you get to do this and you get to go all these places and you're always in a different place and all this. And it's like, which sounds glamorous and it's hellacious. Yeah, exactly. And the the relationships that are strained because of the of like living that life, like the relationships at home or 
from the people that you grew up with or, you know, that don't necessarily, they understand what you're doing, but in, in, in one way they don't, right? They don't understand, but they think that you've lost touch with them or whatever, but it's like, no, I'm heaven. I'm just, like people will say like, what, I see people and they're like, what are, what are you doing? What are you up to? And I'm like, I'm doing the same thing I've been doing since I was 16 years old. <laughs> like, you, you know, I, I'm playing guitar and I'm writing songs and I'm singing them. That's what I've been doing. I have not stopped doing it, you know? Yeah. Um, nothing really has changed, you know? I've just made a bunch of different records, but like, so, but you know, there's a, there's a hard, um, there's a hard truth that you have to face where you realize that there are relationships in your life that are just not going to be the same anywhere because you don't have the, you're just not there, you know? Um, that's why it's so important to have like a, build a family that you can travel with. Mm -hmm. because it becomes your family it becomes the people you spend more time with than anybody um, but yeah so a lot of the like a lot of the songs are about that and a lot of the songs are just about my I think taking a step away from that sort of rigorous schedule cycle that I had been on allowed me to kind of look back um, at my own life but also sort of observe a little bit more so a lot of the songs are sort of my observation on kind of how I feel the world is at the moment. Mm -hmm. Whereas when you're in this kind of self-centered um, self-centered cycle, I guess, it's hard to sort of observe anything outside where you're just in this bubble of, you know, I'd write these songs about whatever had happened in my life in those two years I was on tour and then go right in and make a record about it. Or Whereas this one, I the song sort of took a while well it's interesting that blah, I cannot talk to you sorry after four interviews in the last two days it just caught up to me it's okay but what I was going to say what's interesting about that though is I wonder how much of it is taking the break but also very simply and I've talked about this with so many artists of a certain age as you get older your perspective changes and the things that both you want to represent and also just simply the things that you care about. Like, perfect example, I love Gary Clark Jr.'s new record. And mm -hmm. we spoke about this. And, you know, again, he talked about the fact that when he was in his 20s, you just want to party. You just want to have fun. Now he's 34. He's a dad. Yeah. So, you know, that speaks to so much of the change of this record. Yeah. And the fact it's the first record that he would, you know, I wouldn't call it political, but socially conscious. Because as you get older, you do start to think more about what you're leaving the world. Yes, absolutely. I think... The age has a lot to do with it. Um, I think just the overall, I mean, the insanity of the world that we are living in, it's hard not to just sort of like look at it and have an opinion, um, you know? Uh, and then when you're writing, like I said, I, I write just to get what's in my head out. Um, I, I think... I could probably count on, on one hand the amount of songs that have just like sort of come to me in a nice like gift wrapped box where it was like oh this I know how to, I know how to write a song you know most of the time it's just like trying to get yeah something's bothering me and I'm just trying to put it into a nice melody to, to help my you know get myself through it and then all the you know you just hope that somebody else will listen to it and be able to take something from it but um yeah, I don't know. I think that this... I mean, even the whole title of the record comes from just reading a, about a study that they're trying to create a pill for loneliness. Um, scientists are trying to create a pill for loneliness because they believe it's a worse epidemic than obesity. And 
and sort of think that there's studies being done that prove that we're living in the loneliest era in the hum human civilization um, in this in this technologically connected world where we're supposed to be you know smaller than ever and close closer than ever together and yet we're not it's 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 almost like a it's it's a feigned um, type of community that a lot of these people think they live in you know we're really oh, yeah. they're just lonely and it's uh yeah so I just like just even just thinking about that and then calling the record that because to me thankfully music has always been that for me and for other people that I know so that's such a weird concept anyway it's funny it reminds me of like the film like the Truman Show or no. not I'm sorry not Truman Show which I did love I suppose there's some similarities but um Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind. Yeah, sure. You know, and it's just like, I mean, can you wipe out loneliness with a pill? But the better no, question right? is, if you could, Would you should you? No, I see, that's the thing. Yeah, I, I, I agree because it's like, it's a part of the human condition and it's, and hopefully it's not something that you have to deal with all the, you know, it's like we're trying to take away all feelings. Exactly. That is the, that is it. That's the whole sort of, <clears throat> Uh, yeah, like I was just thinking like, wow, yes, yeah, so, like science is good for a lot of stuff. Uh, Technology is good for a lot of stuff, but you, I don't know that you, you can just invent uh, a solution for everything. Some problems you have to work through and just sort of feel like you said. And that, it's like the only way you can feel happiness is by feeling sad. Yeah. To know the difference between the two. You know, yeah. Light and dark. It's the whole idea of life is you know up and down it's, it's like I don't know so that just like struck me well, coming um, back to the personal nature of it it's interesting because I, I think that you know I really love the fact I think writing is it's intended to be subconscious and as it comes out things emerge and oftentimes things you didn't even know you were thinking so as you say because a lot of this is to get out your own feelings and I think about this and, and especially because you had taken the time off and had time to think about things once you started writing A Pill for Loneliness, were there particular things, songs, or even just passages that really surprised you to know that you were either thinking that way or that you felt that way? Well, I think a lot of the stuff, um, a lot of the stuff sort of started in a dark place and I, I didn't, I think that's kind of part of the reason why it took so long to make the record because I started writing songs and they were, like the first song I wrote for the new record was is Mountain of Madness and it was it was a few days after we we were playing in Seattle we were about to go on stage in Seattle and the the, the shooting happened at, at the Bataclan and we watched it on CNN and our friend Julian was playing drums for them and we were all just like so fucked up about it and then we went on stage and it was just this weird experience to just like know your friend that was just playing a concert and then we went on stage and it was this last day of our tour and then we all went home and I was, it was just a really weird feeling. And I wrote this song about being confused about this state of the world, you know? Yeah. And then, and then I wrote another song kind of like that. And then I just thought, man, I'm, I don't want to know if I want to write a whole record about this kind of stuff, you know? So I like sort of, I'd write a little bit and then I would just kind of put it away because I, I was sort of almost waiting for something else to come for me to write about. And then they just kind of kept coming like that for a while. And then I was like, well, man, you know, now it's obviously I just have to dig into it because it's just a, 
it's just a thing that I want to talk about. Um, so that I, maybe and I as, as you dug into it and yeah. you realized that you wanted to talk about, it, what did you learn? What was the, what what were the couple things that you? Well, learned I, I learned again another, I guess because most of the time most of my songs had always been about like something personal, for me, and you know whether it was a, a love song or you know sort of a melancholic song about trying to get you know out of it, but. Um, I think I learned that uh, that I could still write about. I could still have an. I could have an observational opinion, and still write the way I write and feel the way I feel. If that makes sense, because I'd always been sort of. Um, I don't know. Not too much of a bulk writer in that regard. Like you know, not just like I'm not just like a. I don't just write constantly in a journal and then go. You know, put it together. I just sort of like wait. If I wrote as much as I think about writing, <laughs> I'd have 15 albums, you know? <laughs> but it's in the process of that then, you know, as, as, you know, figuring out that you can do that, were there, what were the moments then where you realized like, oh, okay, I, I can do this type of writing and I can, you know, kind of do what you're talking about and do it a little separate and, and you know, approach it in a slightly different way because again, like you say, you, you because it's nonstop, or it had been nonstop, there wasn't a lot of opportunity to change it up. Yeah. So it probably had to be really inspiring to see yeah. that, you know, okay, if I want to write in a different manner this time. And it, sonically as well, that was the other thing with making that record, like having the time to, to like really explore different sounds and explore different influences of mine over the years and, you know, having Jakir and Carl to be there to be like, Let's try this. Let's do this. You know, because there was no real um, goal other than just to make, you know, make good art with each other and see what happens. Um, I think that was that was cool too. You know, and having them to be like to be able to talk to about the, what the songs were about, but then be able to rely on them for like uh, taking those sonic risks. It was just a nice, uh, yeah. I mean, it was tumultuous at times, just like any you make any record. It's like not a, you know, it's not all roses. But it's interesting for you now that you can bring this record to the stage, you know, and that you're doing it in two capacities, both solo and with the band, you know, which is really interesting because when you play songs live, right, they change quite a bit. Yes, absolutely. And so now having this capacity where you can play stuff both live, I mean, obviously all live, but both solo and with the band. Yeah it really can change on a nightly basis. Well, and it's cool too, because like all my songs always start with just me and a guitar. So they're always rooted in that. And uh, like we were joking before, like I know there's a good section of people that wish all of my songs just sounded like that. <laughs> so in a way it's cool just to, you always have like, um, you know, to me making a record too is just this moment in time. And then you go out and they start to evolve. Like you said, like they, you know, every night they get a new, uh, uh, you know, they get new breath into them. So, uh, yeah, being able to just go out and play is what I've always really made records for, is to go out and hope that the that moment on stage is is the transcendent moment you're always looking for. And for you, and we'll wrap up in a minute because I want you to save your voice for the show tonight and everything, but it's funny, when you think about the artists that you admire for the way that they took stuff on stage, changed it, could do this, you know, there's a few people who come to my mind. Who are those artists for you? Well, Neil Young would be be my my number one, you know, like, and that's like he's sort of the person I look to, um, 
not comparing myself whatsoever, but just a person who's just done what he's wanted to do. Yeah. Whenever he feels like it. If he wants to go play just by himself with an acoustic guitar, he does it. If he wants to jam for 30 minutes on Cortez the Killer with his buds, he does it. If he wants to bring out Willie Nelson's kids as his band, hmm. you know, like, yeah. and he just follows, seems to follow whatever path he's on. And um, that's sort of something I've always taken a lot of stock in. It's just um, because I'm not, uh, I do not take for granted the ability to to do what I want, you know? And it's something I cherish and I hold really deeply. Um, yeah, knowing that at the end of the day, whatever happens, whatever I choose to do, it, it's me that says yes or no to it. Um, I take my, my creative control and the independence of that not being sort of beholden to anyone very, very seriously. And um, I think that's, yeah, like Neil just kind of is that sort of archetype for that in a way cool before I let you go I mean I can't you know we haven't spoken since the Raptors won the championship very exciting <laughs> I went to oh man I went to a lot of games I went to two games in the finals they lost both um, but that doesn't matter because they won exactly so the that's four all I didn't go to <laughs> yeah man it was so what you're saying is if you had gone to all seven the Warriors would probably be champions maybe again. yeah yeah I was fortunate too because it was like the exact two-week period that the finals happened was the exact two-week period that Alexis booked. We booked uh, a bunch of shows in November of last year. And there was no bone in my body that thought, when these shows roll around next summer, the exact two weeks is going to be the Raptors in the fucking finals. So it was just like, yeah. I, was, I, I literally was in the basement of the Palladium uh, about to go on stage with Alexa on fire when they won. Nice. It was like, I watched them win. I put my, I have a photo of me like in my underwear changing <laughs> and they win and I, I have my hand up and I'm walking in away in my underwear and I wear a Raptors hat and a Raptors shirt and I put black pants on I went up on stage and played. And then the next day we flew home to Toronto and we played these two big shows in our hometown and I got the Raptor mascot to come out and like hype up the crowd before we won. I was the greatest thing I've ever been a part of. So now that you got the championship, are you okay with Kawhi leaving? Yeah, I thought he was going to leave no matter what. Like I was, I was, I'm a realistic NBA fan. There's a lot of people in Toronto that just like jumped on. And we're like, what do you mean he left? I'm like, he was leaving no matter what. If they won. He's like, there you go, congratulations. If we lost, he'd be <laughs> like, I'm going to LA. You know. So I just like, I'm thankful that he tried hard and won us a championship. You know. Yeah. P.S. I still think we're going to be good. We're 17 and four without him last year. But. But we win the championship. Probably not. No, but anything can happen now. Yeah. Look, there's all these duos that these you know dynamic duos that we got to figure out if they're going to do anything. Well, I'm a Clipper fan, so I'm excited. Well, that's good. You know, they're going to be but, good. Uh, I think they're going to be very good. But it's. I also do think, in general, just as a basketball fan, it's way better for the game of basketball when eight or nine teams have a chance to win it. Exactly. Then when it feels like okay, cool. Golden yeah. State's gonna win, you know. Yeah. Kind of like the Patriots were for a while in football. Yeah, I was getting really like as just a basketball fan. Like obviously, I never thought the Raptors would ever win, but I was just getting so sick of this Warriors versus LeBron thing. Yeah, just as a basketball fan, I feel the same, and I like LeBron. I do too. But, I like I like watching them all play, but it was just like, can I get can somebody else? So 
that was a, I, I mean, just a, obviously as a Toronto fan, that was incredible to watch. But the run was like, you know, I was at the, I was at, I was at the game where Kawhi hit that shot versus the Sixers. You know, that was, that was almost better than them winning the finals. <laughs> you know, but there was so many good games in the playoffs. I thought the playoffs were great. Like, so you do you ha- have you have you written a Raptors song? I think we did talk about this last time. Every, I, I think I maybe joked and said all of my sad songs were about being a Toronto Raptors fan. But now I can't do that anymore. Right. Yeah. So, so you know. But there's a very interesting dynamic because my, my one of my best friends, Dante, who plays guitar with me, is from San Antonio. So, lifelong Spurs fan. So when that trade happened, there was a weird... Because I'd always give him shit because the Spurs were always so good and they won five championships. And he'd always be like, well, you know, the Raps are going to... And then tomorrow got traded for Kawhi and then we won with Kawhi. And so obviously the San Antonio Spurs fans are very sore about the way that whole thing went down. Let's see, I don't even think of them anymore. Yeah. I mean, I like San Antonio, but I don't think of them in relation to Kawhi anymore. Yeah. Because it's like he's won a championship now in Toronto. He's yeah. already like left them, spurred them on, you know, no no pun intended. But I mean, he also, good, he also yeah. won them a championship. Yeah, no, again, and there's nothing, you know. So again. you guys are next in line, right? Hope so. That's just, that's just Kawhi's going to be Kawhi's thing. <laughs> just goes and ruins people championships. Mercenary. Well, we don't have Paul George till November, so who knows, mm. but you know. You got the two. If if Paul George is healthy, you got the two best two way players in the league. Well, it's not only that; it's the fact that it's it's funny because I have so many friends who are Laker fans, and and you know this is the one thing I wrote. And I say this is someone who's from LA, someone who grew up on Showtime basketball, and who still would argue that Kareem Abdul-Jabbar is the greatest player of all time. I'm going to take Jabbar over Jordan. Okay. All, all this being said, Laker fans today are so fucking obnoxious. Yeah. They they're just this fucking incessant whining yep. about well you know oh he's coming you know so Kawhi and Paul George go to a Rams game and they boom because they didn't go to the Lakers guess what Clippers last year won 48 games yeah and then got the best two-way players in the game yeah it's not going to be that close no and uh, oh, I mean don't get me started on Lakers fans <laughs> Same with well I, I say this for look you gotta you gotta keep fans I'm the host so I can say I don't fuck well. yeah I wrote a song called the Golden State but okay, okay. you know why is everybody still singing about California? I don't know. I opened with it at Coachella. I'm not, I remember that whole independent, I, I'm my own man person? Yeah, but I think, you know, it's funny. When it comes to your music, I don't know that, you know, fans recognize the basketball thing anyway so much. Sure. Well, so, Canadian, you know, Canadians do because they know that's... The, yeah, you know. but it's funny. I think, you know, I mean, if you if you open with a song called Golden State, yeah. you know, well... No, this would be giving them too much. I was going to say half the people at Coachella would probably think you're covering Joni Mitchell. Yeah, but they probably, probably don't know who the fuck Joni Mitchell is. Yeah, so yeah, exactly. You know? But yeah, no, I'm not worried. Fuck, fuck the Lakers. I'm not worried about. <laughs> nothing against the Laker players. No, no, but it's the fans see. My thing just... is like the fans. I'm. Mean, it's just it's the fans of perennial winners that are upset because basically there's, it's like you didn't. And I'm it's, sorry. And, and every time that you know the argument comes up. 16 championships. Well, this is the analogy I use. You haven't been to the playoffs in seven years. So if you meet a girl seven years ago, right? Yeah. You have the best sex of your life. And then she doesn't sleep with you in seven years? Yeah. Are you still going to continue the relationship? And I will say, I will go on record as saying, I understand that the irony of, I'm a Toronto Maple Leafs fan. And the Leafs are hated like the Lakers are because the Leafs were, you know, they're the, the hockey mecca, but they haven't won... Stanley Cup since 1967, you know. Well, I'm sorry, in 52 years, you're no longer the hockey mecca. Yeah, but they still are, though. It's the it's the center of the hockey world, but they can't win. And uh, Leaf fans are we're terrible. We're just like every year, it's like playing the parade route. 
because we've got you know, and then we never win, and it's like. Well, it's funny. I talked I to like this friend who's a Laker fan. We're gonna win it. this year, though. And that's what they were saying is, you know, the Laker fans got spoiled for so long, and then when everyone assumed that Kawhi was coming there, yeah, there was this like, you know, basically they just got overly excited, so they felt like they had something that they never actually had. Yeah. So now it's like, you know, they feel like rejected lovers. It's like which is so fucked because they have Anthony Davis and LeBron James. Yeah, but the thing is, they wanted you know? the they wanted the easy way, and that's why that goes back to what I was saying. It's an advantage for the game of basketball. If Kawhi would have gone there, it would have ruined the game of basketball. See, that's why I'm not mad about it. If he had gone to the Lakers, I would have been very upset. Yeah, because again, it would have ruined the game of basketball. Yes, but this, I like this. Like, yeah. I like this Russ, Russell and Harden and, and uh, I mean, if KD gets healthy, KD and Kyrie. Like, I like these, I'm, I like this new duo, not big threes. I, I, I want to see how this, this, this new era of the dynamic duos is going to, because there's like nine of them. Yes, All over the it, league, you know? But, but and maybe because I'm a little biased because I'm a Clipper fan, but I think the difference between the Clippers and some of the other ones is they actually had a good supporting cast coming in. So no, they have... No. They, they don't. They won 48 games. Yeah, no, they were, they were good, but, you know, they're... No. You, I, don't be too excited about that Clippers team last year. That Clipper team was that was good, right? Yeah. But now you've 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 replaced all of that mojo of these guys like fighting as this scrap heap of people who like. Trust me, I root for a team like that. But see, Leonard and George have that same mentality. No, they don't. Th- that's why they were good. No, for they don't. They both force trades. They're both egotistical <laughs> superstars. Come on, you don't. You think they're gonna? Come on, Lou Williams is also gonna cool down. By the way, so and he's not gonna get the ball enough. He's playing in a different unit with them. Yes, he will. No, he will not. There's not going to be enough shots to go around. That I disagree with. It's because you're a Clippers fan. I am. Exactly. You know what? It's like we people, could suck, yeah. It's like people arguing with me that they don't think Kyle Lowry's that good. And I'm like, he scored 26 points in the deciding game in the finals. You got, any, got, you got anybody like that yet? Yeah, Clippers have got a lot of guys here. Yeah, but you got Paul George and, and Kawhi Leonard who are, you know, they're now Clippers. Yeah. But it's like... You know, people are like, Pascal Siakam. I'm like, yeah, Pascal Siakam, most improved player. Yeah. See, I like Siakam and I like Lowry and I was happy for him because he had taken so much shit over the years. I think, listen, I think the Clippers are going to be good. But I think it's because you have Paul George and Kawhi Leonard. Of course. Well, that's the difference between being a really fucking good, gritty team that wins 48 games, that wins two games from the Warriors in the playoffs and being a team that's favored to win the championship. Right. If you had that same team yeah. without Kawhi George, who'd they lose to though? Who'd they lose from that that group? Just Gallinari. That's it. That's it. Yeah. And you're gonna you're gonna trust the ball in Beverly's hands? Yeah. Oh no, I'm sorry. We lost because uh, you lost to Alexander as well. Yes, Canadian. Yes. yes. He's good, man. He is good. Beverly's not not a point guard. That's gonna be the, the, the I think that's the most interesting part about the clips. Who's going to bring the ball up? Are they just going to let Kawhi bring the ball up? You know what I mean? Yeah. Because Beverly's an incredible defender. I mean, you've, you've probably got the best defensive team, the best defensive five. Montrezl Harrell's great. Yeah. Right? Beverly's mm-hmm. great. Those two are incredible. Who's your f- Who's your four? Who's your four? It's. I, I mean, I think it's going to change. I don't. I don't know that it's been determined. Just trying to think of who else is on the team, but you need somebody to bring the ball up. I think. Yeah. Because Kawhi, I mean, I watched Kawhi all year last year. Mm-hmm. I so, right? Yeah. That's the one thing about Kawhi. He does not make the people around him better. 
not in a bad way. He's just give me the ball and I'll score. You know, very Jordany. But yeah, you need a you need a, a guy. You need a Kyle Lowry. You need a facilitator. That's. I heard rumors that they're going to trade for Kyle. Did you hear that? Yeah. Yeah. So you need a point guard. Just saying. Jamichael Green. That's projected point. Okay. Oh, okay. We'll wrap up on a basketball question. Or I'm sorry, on an actual music question, then I'm going to let you go, but it's funny. Because Monday night... You know I like talking about basketball more than I like talking about exactly, my own of course. music. Okay. But this being said, so um, I saw Brandy Carlisle Monday night mm-hmm. do Joni Mitchell Blue all the way through. Oh, yeah. Phenomenal show. Got me thinking about this. It's very interesting. And, and she said at the show, her reasoning for doing it is because she wanted people to be able to experience Blue live again. So, you know, obviously Joni can't play, so she yeah. can't do it. What would be the album from another artist you would want to do start to finish? That's a very good question. I don't know that I would pick one because I don't have enough uh, confidence in, <laughs> in doing anything justice, but... Um, well, well, taking out for a second the doing it justice, sure. just taking it as a, as a fan and yeah. as, as one that you think it would be interesting to you know, do. Sade Love Deluxe. She's still doing it, though. Right. <laughs> so... But yeah. That that would be, I would love to see that as a fan. Yeah. Have you ever covered any of her songs? Yeah, I do No Ordinary Love all the time. Okay. Yeah. But I'd love to sing the song Pearls. I would love to sing that song. I've always wanted to sing that song. But it's all orchestra and I, I've tried to come up with like piano or guitar versions before. It just doesn't work. But I would love to sing Pearls with an orchestra. Yeah. Nice. Maybe I'll do that one day. Okay. And by the way, now, have you ever written what would be considered a sports anthem, or is that now a goal? No, but I've, I've, a bunch of my songs have been used on, uh, on like, um, on Hockey Night in Canada, mm-hmm. which is kind of cool to see. Like, I remember a couple of years ago, before the, before the Stanley Cup Finals started, there was, uh, they did like a, a season montage, mm-hmm. like leading up, and they used one of my tunes. So that was really cool, just to, as a a sports fan and as a Canadian kid to like have your you know have this like cool sports montage set to one of my tunes yeah and then actually there was a cool moment earlier this year the Rogers Cup when the Rogers Cup mm-hmm. tennis ended they used Astronaut and did like a a wrap up of that with it just just like the you know the sports fan in me that gets fired up about that stuff cool what do you want to add I didn't ask you about since you got to go on in like two hours nothing Cool. Hey, this is Steve Balton. You have been listening to My Turning Point with Dallas Green, also known as City in Color. And looking forward to revisiting this in June to see where we both stood on our NBA picks. I am sticking with the Clippers, and I appreciate the fact that Dallas is a lifelong and diehard Toronto fan. So congratulations to him on his championship last year. Everything it happens for a reason You can be flawed enough But perfect for a person Someone who will be there for you When you fall apart Guiding your direction When you're riding through the dark Oh, that's you and me takes a lot of ingredients to fix or build a car, like cooking, but without the frozen dinner easy way out. 
eBay Motors has 122 million parts. It's always the right fitment, so you can follow any recipe to a T. Whether it's a vintage Italian coupe that's classic like grandma's meatballs or a German luxury car that's as complicated as Oma's Rouladen, to cook up something great in the garage, use the eBay Motors app or visit ebaymotors.com. Let's ride. This summer, L.L. Bean invites you to simply step outside and enjoy the fresh air and sunshine. We'll be your guide with tips and advice to get more out of every moment outdoors. Here's one. Create a bobber for your keys by sticking an eye hook into a wine cork, then add it to your keychain. If your keys fall into the water when you're hiking or paddling, the cork will float. For more fun ideas, easy how-tos, and inspiring stories, visit llbean.com guide. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points. Fantasy Points. 